Well, I read uh, to you this morning in uh, Luke chapter 2, and we have heard it sung today uh, how uh, the Lord has been born. What a great and wonderful advent that he has brought. And a report on CNN uh, not too long ago had a study on global Christianity. This is based on studies done in over 200 countries uh, by journalist Richard Green. He said that Christianity is now, and he's not a Christian, he's not promoting any faith. He just says Christianity is now statistically the largest religion in the world with over 2 billion, 2.2 billion people. Uh, China alone has 67 million professed Christians. And usually in some place like China, if they profess to be Christian, they are Christians because it's not smiled upon there to be one. Um, Islam is considered to be second with about one and a half billion adherents, but you have to remember that a lot of people in Muslim countries do not read and do not really have options. In fact, if you convert from Islam to Christianity, uh, you get a death penalty. You're not permitted to convert. So when they say we have one and a half billion, I doubt it. If you gave them an option, a lot of them would leave. The, the Lord has made, the coming of Christ, the birth of Christ has made an incredible turn in the world. In fact, we talk about B.C. and A.D., B.C., before Christ, but A.D. is a, it comes from a Latin phrase, anno domini, which anno is an, <clears throat> a year, like an annual. It's Latin for year, anno. Domini is Lord. It's Latin for Lord. So A.D. is the year of our Lord, 2011 means 2,011 years from the time our Lord was born. We, Jesus' coming divided all of history. I was noticing um, on the Internet one day, checking the news, uh, Kim Jong-il lay in state uh, on his, and in his coffin, give me a, can you pull that up? I don't know if you can make that out. But you know what that says? They get a close-up of it. Give me the next one. 1942 to 2011. Huh. Kim Jong-il, actually it would now be Kim Jong-dead. <laughs> but Kim Jong-il is dating his birth and his death in the year of our Lord. Every knee will bow, and every tongue will have to confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord. 
no matter where you turn, you cannot escape the fact that Jesus has come. It's amazing how a little baby can do so much damage to people's agendas. What exactly has Jesus done in the world since he came? And we've got some hindsight now, 2,000 years to look back, and I want to just give you some differences in the world since Jesus came. He's made a difference, for example, in the lives of little children. Um, Before Jesus came, child sacrifice, abandonment, and abuse was common. Uh, Dr. James Kennedy, uh, in his book, What If Jesus Had Never Been Born, writes, Archaeologists have unearthed cemeteries near pagan temples where these, these, uh, these graveyards have little babies buried. They're cemeteries for little babies. And they show their bodies exhumed, show marks of sacrifice. And they, they think that the, the, purpose, the whole purpose of these cemeteries was to bury the dead that had been offered to the deities. Before Israel went into the land of Canaan in the book of Joshua, the worship of Baal was accompanied by the killing and the murdering of little babies. They offered their children to their God. They burned them alive. Dr. Kennedy writes that the prophets of Baal were official authorized murderers of children before Jesus came. All children should thank God for sending Jesus. Their lives were on the line. Studies show that half the children born in the first century did not survive to be eight years of age. Either through sickness or abandonment or they would just throw them on the garbage pit. They would, uh, the man of the family, the household, the father of the family, he had the right to simply take his baby to the local pimp's palace and sell her. He had the right to do that. In the lives of children, Jesus has made an incredible difference. He has brought value to the lives of little children. Wherever Christianity has gone, wherever the gospel is preached, babies and children have been elevated, their lives have been given importance, and new perspective has been brought to their potential and value before God. Another, another area is in the area of the role of women. When, since Jesus has come, women are no longer property. You realize that in first century, a woman, and, and even today in many places where the gospel has not permeated the society, a woman is simply property. 
One missionary told about uh, going, he said, in, his, in the beginning of his, of his mission effort, he said, I, I, was, I saw a farmer, and he was uh, uh, plowing, and he had uh, an ox on the right-hand side, and he said, I couldn't make out what it was on the left-hand side. And he said, I got closer, and it was a woman. A yoke with a woman in one side and an oxen in the other. And this farmer guy, he's plowing. And that's where missions hasn't, has not gone. And now you can't even get them to mow the yard. <laughs> the guys are smiling. The women are like, hmm. I just uh, read this not too long ago. A man living in North Dakota near the Canadian border uh, reported that early this morning the snow has nearly come waist high and is still falling. The temperature is dropping way below zero. The north wind is increasing to near gale force. He said his wife does nothing but stare through the kitchen window. He says, if it gets much worse, he's going to have to let her in the house. <laughs> now, see, that's, that's not good. That's not good. We're Christians. We don't do that kind of thing. There's a change that's, that's come. Merry Christmas. The role of women has absolutely been transformed. And you know why? Because Jesus came and Jesus has brought the concept of covenant to the fore. Do you understand that where the gospel is not penetrated, they have little concept of a covenant, marriage covenant, because the covenant idea of which God has revealed himself in the old covenant and in the new covenant. He only reveals himself through a covenant. That idea of a covenant is a biblical idea, and only where the Bible is taught and the gospel is preached do we have any concept whatsoever of a covenant. And the farther a nation gets from its God and the Word of God, the, the less commitment it will have to a covenant idea. And Jesus has said, you're entering into a covenant with me. And I'm in a covenant with you. This is the blood of the covenant. That is what Jesus brought into the world that women now have. He has elevated. He has dignified. Wherever the gospel has gone, women have been blessed. Another area is in the value of life and the equality of persons. The founder of a news show, uh, CNN and movie channel TNT, uh, Ted Turner, who's an outspoken atheist, uh, spoke at a conference in Miami, Florida, some years ago. And he made this bizarre statement. He said, overpopulation is the cause of drive-by shootings. But he said, it seems to me the real root of the problem is Christianity. Because Christianity teaches that people are more important 
than sea otters or elephants. Wow. Guilty. The farther you get from God, the less value you will put on human life. But Jesus came, and you know why he came? He didn't just come to teach, though he taught. He didn't just come to heal, though he healed. Jesus came to be a sacrifice for our sins. He came to die for sinners. That defines the value of an individual. Jesus died for me. But the farther that we get from the advent, farther we get from the gospel, the less dignity and value we will place on human life. Even sinners are loved by God. Hallelujah for that. We're not just a species. We are people made in the image of God. The value of life and the equality of persons. Uh, when Jesus came, he bestowed such dignity that it is Christianity. Make no mistake. The reason slavery was abolished in England was from a man named William Wilberforce who fought it for 25 years and in 1833 finally got it passed in the Parliament in London, England, and on that day, 700,000 British slaves were set free. That concept of freedom and equality of all men came to America. And here in the United States, it's taken up in the form of the abolitionist movement to abolish. The, we believe that we should abolish slavery, that one man should not own another man because of the color of his skin. Two-thirds of all abolitionists were avowed, committed Christians. And the reason that slavery is no longer in this nation today, at the root of it, at the heart of it, is Christianity in the 1860s. And at the heart of it was British Christianity in the 1830s. It is a social transformation that can be traced right back to the birth of Jesus Christ. Men were not important before Jesus came. And today, in the front line of the battle against abortion, you will find if you took the churches out and you took the preachers out, you would find that abortion is hardly ever mentioned. But I want to tell you, at the front lines are the preachers of God's Word who value life and value children and value babies, either, even if they are not yet born and still in the womb. It is the church of Jesus Christ, it is the ministers of the gospel who take that fight and put it in the forefront and say life is valuable. And if it's ever won in this country, it'll be because the church has won it battle on abortion. That's the difference Jesus made. Here's a fourth area that I, I would attribute to the coming of Jesus Christ, and that is in this whole area of charities, nursing, medicine, caring for people. 
We think of uh, charities such as Salvation Army, World Vision, Compassion International, Samaritan's Purse. All of these are rooted in the Christian faith. All hospitals. You realize that before Jesus came, there were no hospitals? Uh, we, some of you who studied church history have heard of the Council of Nicaea in 325. And the Council of Nicaea debated whether or not Jesus was fully God, fully divine. That, that is what the Council of Nicaea is known for. This big council in which all the bishops, pastors of all the churches in the whole world were invited to come and debate this issue for months, which they did. And they set forth a decree that Jesus is fully God and fully man at the same time. And that is, anything apart from that has been heresy ever since. What many people do not know, though, is that at that same council of Nicaea in which they define the boundaries of your vocabulary about the person of Christ, at that same council, they set forth another decree which said this, wherever a church is planted, there a hospital should also be established. Because God cares for your soul and he cares for your body. He forgives your sins and he heals you as well. But hospitals grew out of Christian compassion for hurting people which grew out of God's compassion through Jesus Christ. The first nursing school was founded by Florence Nightingale. Florence Nightingale, who died about 1910, was influenced primarily by her Lutheran pastor who organized women in his church to care for the sick and ordained deaconesses and founded the actually what is considered the first nursing school, a Lutheran pastor, of which Florence Nightingale was a graduate. During World War, during, or in the wars of, of, in her day, she went out, she would be called the lady with the lamp, and she would go out and check the, the bodies of the soldiers and see if they were still breathing or needed care or needed something. And uh, so whenever they would see the lamp moving around at night, they knew who it was. She went back to London and actually began what is considered the first organized nursing training school. But that all came out of Christianity. If you get sick, you call 911, they take you to the hospital, you ought to thank God there's a place to go. You ought to say... Merry Christmas to me, Jesus has come. Hospitals, nurses, benevolence, compassion, caring for women and children. And then there's universities and education. This, this is a big, big issue. The coming of Christ inspired education, knowledge, and learning. Schools grew where Jesus' influence went. The desire to, for books, and the reason is they wanted to read the Bible. 
the Old and New Testament is called the Bible. It's, and the, the, the word that is literally in the Greek is biblos, which means a book. The Jews were called the people of the book. That, that, they were famous for that title in the ancient world. Oh, those are the people of the book. And wherever Christianity has gone, people wanted to learn to read so they can read the book. And they wanted their children to learn to read so they could read the book. Because in the book is salvation. In the book is blessing. So you have to learn some things. To quote Dr. James Kennedy again, he said, Without Christianity, the, the literacy rates in a country void of the gospel averages 10%. In other words, 90% of the people cannot read where the gospel has not gone. They can't read. You go to Afghanistan today, the problem over there is you can't communicate with them. They, they don't know anything. It's, they're not educated. They have no schools. Women are not permitted to go to school. It's against the law. Yeah, and over here, school is such a big deal. We, we make you pay for school. Why? Because at the origin, at the heart of it, was the fact that we wanted our children to learn to read about God. The first, and you can check this. Correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I don't think so. The first 123 colleges and universities in the United States were founded by Christians for Christians. Harvard was founded by John Harvard to train preachers of the gospel. And here was the statement of the, the philosophy of Harvard in this beginning. The great end of all education was to know the Lord Jesus Christ, which is eternal life. That's in Harvard's original handbook. You won't find it in there today. Princeton, John Witherspoon... President Princeton wrote this, Cursed be all learning that is contrary to the cross of Jesus Christ. Princeton. Harvard, Yale, Dartmouth. Dartmouth was established in order to train missionaries to the Indians. These were founded by Christians to train Christians. When you look, in fact, uh, let me pull up that one on the three uh, parts of our government. The legislative, executive, and judicial branches of the government. How did we come up with that? A constitution that provides for these three branches of government. We, you know where we got it? Out of the Bible. Rooted in the Trinity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, from Isaiah 33:22, the Lord is our judge. That's the judicial system. The Lord is our lawgiver. That's the legislative system, the Congress. And the Lord is our king. That's the executive branch. And out of those three, out of the three offices of the Lord, Isaiah 33:22, our founding fathers said we need these three sections of government. 
that which would create law, that which would implement law, and that which, which would evaluate law. There is nowhere, John chapter 1 put it like this. He said, uh, he came as a light to light every man coming into the world. The light has so penetrated the darkness, the darkness does not know what to do with the light except flee from it. So when we think about literacy rates, charities, education, medicine, science, economics, the elevation and dignifying of women and children, bestowing value on life, even the base of our judicial system, our very government is founded on the Lord Jesus Christ and His mind. I want to tell you, He's changed the world. He has changed the world. And let me tell you something else. He has saved my soul. <laughs> I mean, I appreciate all this other stuff you've done, Jesus, but you know what really means a lot to me? That you forgave my sins and lifted the weight from off of my back and set me on a solid rock and put a song in my mouth. Excuse me? Will Durant wrote, There is no greater drama in human record. Now, Will Durant is not a Christian historian. He's simply writing about first century. And he said, There's no greater drama in human record than the sight of these Christians bringing order while their enemies created chaos, fighting the sword with the word, confronting brutality with hope, and defeating the strongest empire history has ever known, the Roman Empire. He says, Christ met Caesar in his own arena. And Christ won. Hallelujah. Christ met Caesar in his own arena. And it was baby Jesus that e emerged the winner of that fight. There's a great song. The band's going to come and sing Joy to the World for us as we close here. But this, this great song, one of the stanzas in this song says this. No more let sin and sorrow grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow as far as the curse is found. Wherever the curse, wherever men are diminished or degraded, wherever, e wherever evil or expression of it, Jesus has come to destroy that evil and remove it and restore us. Praise His holy name. He's come to destroy the works of the devil.